entering the Freedom Hut. More good economic news, which, of course, upsets Democrats. They are rooting for a recession. They're looking for a narrative to use against Trump coming up in the election. We'll get into that and also how upset the left has become. That looks like Trump is going to be building that wall after all. we got that and more coming up. Freestyle Friday in a moment. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I think underneath the hood, these job numbers were very powerful. Consumer confidence, absolute blowout. We've seen a little softness in production, durable goods, and cap spending. That happens along a cycle. You know, you go up and down. As a rule of thumb, back of the envelope, real GDP equals productivity plus uh, employment growth. That gets you to over 3% right now. So if we remove some of the monetary obstacles and we continue our incentives with low tax rates and rollback of regulations and cheap and plentiful energy, I'm going to play this on the bullish side. We're not forecasting or expecting a recession. Incoming data for the United States suggests that the most likely outcome outlook for the United States economy is still moderate growth a strong labor market and inflation continuing to move back up. The labor market continues to strengthen. So the consumer's in good shape and, and really there's, there's uh, our main expectation is not at all that there'll be a recession. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. There you have it. Overview of what's going on in the economy, which is to most people when they talk about politics, they really care about how politics are affecting their pocketbooks, their ability to pay their bills. The, uh, sense they have of optimism for the future based on sending kids to school and paying the mortgage, buying food, car payments, all that's going really well. As Trump put it just a few hours ago in a tweet, the economy is great. The only thing adding to uncertainty is the fake news. I love it when he calls them the fake news because they deserve it. And the president won't back down from it, despite how enraged it makes them. And the president is right, in my opinion, to continue to hold their feet to the fire and call it like he sees it. But now let's just dig in for a moment. I have a concern. This is really just me sharing with all of you my, uh, my worries for, the, for 2020 and for the way that this is all going to shake out. I know it's very early in the game. It's not even... Not even 12 months. It's now 13 months out. Or in a fort, pardon me, 14 months out. Uh, but we're already seeing the formation of core narratives. And one thing that I can't get rid of is, at least in my mind right now, maybe the American people have forgotten what it's like when you have an administration and a presidency that doesn't know what it's doing with the economy, that is trying to convince you that. Things aren't going to get much better in the future and deal with it. Sorry. Forget about all your your hopes and dreams for a more prosperous uh, future for your children and and for yourself as you move on in in years. You're just going to have to accept that America is going to get less wealthy. Things aren't going to be as good. And and that's just the way it is. 
Because I remember that during the Obama years. I remember people feeling like, oh, my gosh, is this really the way it's going to be? Economically, we're supposed to just accept being told, being really scolded about how, yeah, you know, America's polluted so much. We put all this CO2 in the air and we've exploited other countries and done all these bad things. So if we need a little bit of tough medicine right now, that's on us. That was a sense. It was widespread, I remember, especially in the first four years of Obama's uh, presidency. And now there's a part of me that is worried that things are too good and there'll be a negative effect of that. That because unemployment's 3.7%, because the job market, the uh, playing field for entrepreneurs, all the, just the manufacturing, I mean, all these different areas, the only one that folks will point to and say, oh, well, that's bad, is trade with China. Because things are so good, I think that we, for, I think that too many Americans have forgotten what it's like when they're bad. And so Trump's success becomes, in a way, a liability. Because, yeah, I guess this is just supposed to be the way it is all the time, right? We're always going to be at sub-4 unemployment. We're always going to have a stock market that keeps defying the expectations of a crash, that keeps defying the, oh gosh, the recession's coming talk. A recession that's going to be a lot of pain for a lot of millions of Americans. People lose their homes, lose their jobs, lose their savings. It hasn't happened yet. And maybe it's not going to happen for quite some time. And maybe when it does happen, it won't be that bad. But there are good ways to run an economy. There are bad ways to run an economy. There are good ways to do things. And then there are ways that are going to make you poorer, more frustrated, have less freedom, promote less growth. But to really understand that, maybe, we, maybe we've lost sight of what it's like when things are going badly. And I know that it's a paradoxical concern, but I feel it these days. Here's another version of it. Why do so many young people, young people, I mean, I, I kind of still qualify, graybeard millennial that I am. Why do so many young people have a, a growing affection for socialism and with it for, for central planning, for interference in markets? And why is there this, this cultural it's, a, it's really a, a fad now. It's, it's considered cool. It's hip to reject capitalism among millennials. You know, the, the polls are all saying that, you know, they're 60 percent in favor of socialism over capitalism and, you know, 55 percent in favor of it. It's there's a clear trajectory here. Why is that the case? Well, because I think that they don't know. They have not seen. They have not uh, connected themselves to the history of what it what it meant for places you know, like the Soviet Union, what it is meant for, they just dismiss Venezuela. They dismiss these other countries where the economy has just been going down the tubes for a long time, and they also have lived in what is a a generally very prosperous America. There was the there was the two thousand and eight recession, but especially for people who are young, I guess Gen Z is what I think they call it now. They weren't looking for jobs then. They have gotten out and things have been on a, on a pretty solid trajectory for, for a while. And you might say, oh, Buck, you mean like with Obama? Well, yeah, things were okay after a couple of years of the Obama administration. It didn't seem like it was going to be great, but it wasn't socialism in Venezuela bad. Some of the same ideas were proliferating under the Obama administration, but it wasn't 
You know, it'll and this I'll return to this later with uh, we're going to talk about what de Blasio is doing here in New York City, a place I know very well. If I had as much familiarity with Los Angeles or San Francisco, those are places that are point that where we point to show that these are they're bad ideas. And I think they've gotten a little bit too, uh, you know, soft and happy in those places. A lot of wealth, a lot of accumulation of wealth over time overall national uh, crime drop and so they started to embrace increasingly radical left policies and you know, now you've got you know the poop and the dirty needles all over the streets in san francisco and, and in la and you're seeing more of that stuff happen in new york and maybe it's because the people in these cities have lost a connection to what it means when things go badly i worry i worry that there aren't enough people right now who understand how quickly what we are experiencing right now with a a government that is absolutely imperfect. No question about it. I mean, this is a White House that still needs to deliver on a lot of things. And but on the foundational capitalism is good level. They get it. They understand. And they're trying to work within that framework of capitalism is good. It's lifted more people out of poverty in the last hundred years than had been lifted out of poverty in all of human history beforehand. We should celebrate what capitalism has been able to do for this country. And we should try to promote what works. So we get used to what we see now and, oh, okay, well, things are good and I guess it'll always be good. No. I mean, if you get a President Sanders, for example, things are going to turn very quickly. If you get a President Biden, it won't be good, but I don't think it'll be quite as much of an immediate catastrophe as a as a president Sanders would be. But when people forget what the bad times are like, sometimes they the only way is a as a big dose of reality for the to bring them back in line. And so in that sense, the Trump administration's numbers, the you know, if you had told me uh, that this is where Trump would be going into the third year of his presidency or now going into the soon be going into the fourth year, but in the third year of his presidency, I would tell you, well, wow, there must be, if you had said this in 2016, I'd say there must be some converts to Trumpism. There must be people that, no, now it's just the new normal, and they focus on all these externalities. Oh, what did Trump lie about? That doesn't matter to anyone. We'll talk about one of those examples later. You know, what, is, what is the latest thing that they can drill down on, get very deep in the weeds on, and pretend is a much bigger issue than it is. Oh, did did the president pull a White House reporter's press, you know, hard pass and makes that person show their ID and get a pass like everybody else who goes to the White House? Like when I went to the White House, that's what we had to do. Huh? Is that what happens? Sometimes, my friends, you just get a little too used to things being good. And I do think that the country is going through something like that right now. Because when I see polls that have Joe Biden and, and other Democrats ahead of Donald Trump, I just look I just look at the, the sky and think, how could people be so foolish? Do they, do they forget what it was like to have a left wing administration that was as hostile as it could get away with being? That's not the same thing as saying that they're straight up commies, but that was hostile to private enterprise, to commercial, economic and really individual freedom in so many ways uh, and it's the only way that we can understand what that would really mean to go through it again i hope not but you know, those who don't know their history or don't remember history whatever the specifics of the phrase are doomed to repeat it 
I hope we don't have to repeat a far left administration for for eight years. But given what I'm seeing and you, know, you have this disconnect of very strong numbers, the country doing well, we're not in the midst of some huge war. I was just telling some friends uh, today over lunch. When was the last time we had a mass casualty? I mean, you know, heaven forbid, but the mass casualty jihadist attack in America or in, in Europe, for example. You can't think of it off the top of your head. It's been a long time. That used to be a monthly occurrence. We are not in the midst of, I understand there's the, there's the mass shooting problem, but we're not in the midst of a global terrorist operation directed against us, as we were for many years. Uh, we, aren't in, we aren't seeing a recession. We aren't seeing people lose their jobs. There's so much to be thankful for. And, and I think that, unfortunately, there is a, a creeping ingratitude in we see with much, with many Americans. I don't think with people who listen to this show. I don't think of people that are supporters of the president, by and large. But a, a lot of folks are just like, yeah, well, I guess things are good. But, you know, maybe we should just vote for somebody who doesn't do the tweets. No, I think maybe vote for somebody who does the tweets and like them or don't like them. That's fine. But make sure that the person who's in charge, who has the most power of any individual in the United States government, continues to do the things that are benefiting tens of millions of Americans every day, hundreds of millions of Americans, whether whether they like it or not. Prosperity is not forever. It's not endless. And it can it can evaporate very quickly. And the fact that the polls don't show this uh, this president well over 50 percent in support, I just find troubling. I blame the people that, that are being polled. I don't I can't really blame the administration. What else is he supposed to do? What would be we're going to have GDP growth at, you know, eight, 12 percent a year, 12 percent a year. We're going to do what China does and lie about it, <laughs> lie about it to our own people to justify the regime that's in place. I don't think so. Um, this is also why we need to prepare ourselves for not really a discussion of the economic merits of why there should be a change in leadership in this country. But it's going to be personality and uh, culture based. Uh, Trump is such a bad guy. He's so terrible. He's such a racist. Uh, the country's better than this. You'll hear all this stuff when I don't need people telling me the country's better than this. I just want the country to continue to do well. That's my focus. That's what I would like to see. And I don't know if what it's going to take for some of those independent and winnable voters to understand that after that climate change debacle from from yesterday, how could you think that putting a Democrat in charge of more of the economy is a good idea or, or anything in the economy, but but even more than what you have right now with, with the Republican, because they would want to seize control via this Green New Deal nonsense? How could anyone think that's a good idea? And yet there are so many of them. It's troubling. You know, we we live in. We live in overall very happy times in this country right now. And I start to feel this this ominous sense that the only it's either going to be shattered in one fell swoop or we're just going to hand it hand it away because not enough people understand that this is precious and it's fragile and it needs to be defended. That's that's what I, I know. It's not exactly cheery Friday talk, but I worry about this and I, I think that. We've just become we've become a little spoiled in the last three years to have a government that is trying not to even out the playing field all the time and play the social justice game and all this other stuff and redistribute the wealth and seize more control. 
a government that, while imperfect, is trying to say, look, let the American people, let the business of the American people be business. Let them do what they need to do. Stand out of the way as much as possible. Um, fight where is necessary. You know, the trade deal, I think, is an important area for us to understand there's a trade-off being made there because the Chinese have been ripping us off and doing bad stuff for a long time. Uh, but yeah, the alternative is what? Joe Biden? Mayor Pete? Not, I was going to say Kirsten Gillibrand, but too bad. She's gone. She's out. We'll be right back. It's a solid number. It's not a spectacular number. By the way, seasonally, the August print usually comes in low and then is revised higher. But here is the story. 590,000 new jobs in the household survey. That is virtually unprecedented. Average hourly earnings, 12-month change is 3.2%. And an explosion in new labor force entrance. The wage rate for the last three months at an annual rate is 4.2%. So I'm just gonna say this. America's working. America's getting paid well. America is spending and saving and producing. So I think this is a dynamite report, but you got to look under the hood. Many analysts don't. That's what I'm talking about, folks. Larry Kudlow is saying it. Things are really good and people aren't even paying attention. Instead, we have a media focus on Sharpie Gate, where you had the president uh, using a Sharpie marker to try and show that the path of the hurricane might have included Alabama in it. I, you know, that, that we're still even talking about this seems to me to just be uh, r- ridiculous. The president doesn't admit mistakes. We know that. Uh, he says he didn't make a mistake. They say he did. Okay. It wasn't malicious. So, and it's weather. It's uncertain. Uh, who really knows? But they just, they're digging in on this because every day that they're, or every hour that is spent covering this nonsense is an hour that people aren't turning on the TV, flipping open their computer or looking at their phone and finding out that, oh, you mean that Trump was a far better steward of the economy than they said he would be and that things are actually going quite well and people have more money in their paycheck, more money in the bank? Oh, yeah, all those things that really matter. We'll talk about more that matters. It's what we do every day here on the show. And uh, we're going to... Get into that in a moment. Stay with me. We are going to take the storm out in the open Atlantic, and eventually it will head towards Nova Scotia, likely as a Category 1 hurricane. And just enough of this storm is going to clip southern portions of New England. Cape Cod is under a tropical storm warning. You will get some rain and gusty winds, but I don't expect, uh, we're not going to have a lot of damage from that, Mika. It will just be kind of a, a minor inconvenience. So uh, I, uh, the storm for the U.S., Dorian has been what we'd say probably underachieving, and now we can try to focus all of our attentions on the recovery efforts down there in the Bahamas. Very uh, saddening to see what's happened in in the Bahamas. Um, there's some really gut wrenching uh, video footage and and photos you can see on all the major on all the major news sites. Uh, you have bodies of uh, of human beings that are still. Uh, on the streets, they're expecting that the the death toll will be staggeringly high. What that exactly roughly means, or what that roughly means, who I can't tell you. But there's uh, there's definitely a sense that there's a lot of there was a lot of death on the island as a result of this storm. And here we are now uh, in the aftermath of another. This is a natural disaster, and. 
you would think that in a in a healthy there's always going to be disagreement, right? There's always going to be dissent, and that's people would point out that's healthy. We need the exchange of ideas. But in a healthier political climate, this situation in the Bahamas and also different parts of the U.S. that have been hit hard, although we haven't seen anything along the lines of the devastation we've seen in the Bahamas, there would be a sense that we need to come together and tackle this together, that we should work with each other to handle this problem instead of trying to point fingers at each other and decide that this is the result of, well, there's a few ways that fingers will be pointed. First, no matter what President Trump does, no matter what he does, I can guarantee you the Democrat narrative here is going to be that Trump didn't do enough because he doesn't care about the Bahamas because he doesn't care about a place that is majority non-white. That's going to be the narrative. Guaranteed. That's what they're going to say. And there's a lot of Americans in the Bahamas, a lot of people in the Bahamas. I mean, it's unfair to Trump. It's unfair to our political discourse to put a smear like that out there. But that's what we're going to be told. That's going to be the real story from the left. Um, and it doesn't matter what he does. I mean, the president could say, we're going to give the Bahamas $100 billion. And they would say, well, now he's just trying to cover up how racist he is. You know, not, now he's just trying to throw us off the trail of his white nationalism or something. He, he can't win. He can't win. We know this. So that's the the one level will be the, hur- the uh, hurricane relief efforts. Just give it time. Liberals are going to be saying it's insufficient. He he's not doing enough, all that. Okay, and then you have the other part of this, too, which is what got us to this point in the last uh, last 48 hours where CNN was doing the seven hour seven hour climate change thing. Unfortunately, you have to you have to keep in mind the liberals who believe in the climate change catastrophe myth. See this devastation And all it does is harden their resolve that we must take these dramatic steps. We must do these things um, in order to save the planet. And anyone who doesn't go along with them is a bad person who does not want to prevent the next major storm like this from happening. And you can see, can't you, you see this connection with, oh, this is what libs do after a Natural disaster like this, they find a way to, to use it as a political mobilization technique, and they argue around, around it uh, in that way. That's one thing that they do. Uh, they also do this after a mass shooting. They'll say, oh, well, you either do the things that we tell you have to be done now after this tragedy, or you don't care about the tragedy, and therefore you're a bad person. This is a, a common tactic, and it is... It's corrosive that the left embraces this so openly, so repeatedly. It is corrosive for all political discussions because, one, they get locked into this lazy mentality on the left of, oh, we're just the good people. They're the bad people. There's really nothing here to discuss. It shuts down our side because we realize why engage when you're just going to be told you don't care about the devastation You don't care about the dead children after a mass shooting, which is just not true. It's just a smear, and it's a stupid one at that. Uh, But the exploitation of 
the grief that we are seeing, the loss that we're seeing now in the Bahamas with this uh, this week of, of CNN and other places, but CNN led the led the group here with their seven hour down hall. Uh, it's just stunning. It's stunning how willing they are, how willing the Democrats are to, to use this to leverage this loss and this pain for uh, a political narrative that, as I keep pointing out to you, doesn't even have an upside. There's some areas where the left can be wrong, and we say, okay, that's a bad idea, but at least there's some good that will come of it. Nothing good comes from the Green New Deal. Nothing. Nothing good comes from tackling the problem of climate change. There's not an upside. I mean, you could try to tell me that moving around money to green energy deals or jobs or something is, but that's just the government appropriating private property and giving it to to favored constituents. I mean, I don't think that's a good thing. That's not really productive. That's the government inflicting itself on us and I think harming productivity and, and harming our wealth. But, you know, the the exploitation of tragedy is a just like identity politics are a, a, a Democrat pastime dominated. I'm not saying that we don't have some versions of identity politics and political tribalism on the right. I mean, we don't really do the we don't do racial identity politics, but. You know, there's I'm sure people can make arguments that we think very much in terms of just our team versus any other team. Right. The right versus versus the left. And that's all that matters. Uh, but the willingness to exploit tragedy on the left is is particularly uh, troubling. And it is a distinction. It's a way that they separate themselves from us. We just don't do this. We don't see something bad happen somewhere and say, ah, what is my favorite political cause to, to tie this to. You know, we say when something bad happens, that's really terrible. Is there anything we can do to help? And wow, we feel badly. Thoughts and prayers. That's a normal reaction. This is who you'd be apologizing to. Someone who violated FBI and DOJ policy, violated the terms of his employment agreement, divulged the existence of an investigation, which is a big no-no, transmitted classified information and then when the fbi came to his house after he was fired had amnesia that's the person oh no by the way this is not the first time jim comey was dinged by the inspector general remember he was dinged in the clinton investigation because comey plays by his own set of rules so he's zero for two and the two major investigations he had in 2016 violated almost everything you can think of except a criminal statute. And that's the guy that wants you to apologize to him. Kobe is amazing in that sense that he still believes that he is just fantastic. He still believes he's he's the most incredible guy. And uh, he did everything the way that somebody in his position should have done. And he's, he has apologized for absolutely nothing. And I will just say that I've been telling you all along, guys, even when the information comes out, even when we have the inspector general report, don't expect don't expect anybody who is anti-Trump to be put in cuffs. It's just not going to happen. Just like, you know, there's there's always this institutional bias toward the institutionalists, the people that first and foremost put the the agency or the bureau or the bureaucracy ahead of any other considerations. And Comey is certainly one of them, although I think that Comey puts himself before everything. Uh, but he's now he's going to be a wealthy guy. He's already wealthy, but he's going to keep making a lot of money. 
the resistance will treat him very well because what we found out, and it's uh, pretty astonishing that this is where we've uh, come to uh, as a country. What we have found out is that James Comey, I I think, because there were two possibilities. One of the possibilities was that he really believed that Trump was a, a Russian asset and that he was doing the country a, a necessary service, a necessary favor um, by trying to save us from a Trump presidency uh, because there was real evidence that the Russians had, had turned him and he was working with the Russians. Or there's just the possibility that he thought he, that, that Comey thought he'd be a hero because the establishment hates Trump so much. And so they were just going to remove him from office by a bureaucratic coup. I think it's the latter. I really don't think that Comey, but I don't think it's possible for Comey to have believed this stuff. I think Brennan maybe was a believer. I think Brennan might have been somebody who convinced himself that Donald Trump was a Russian asset and that all this was real and that the, the fears here were well-founded. I mean, I think that that's very possible because Brennan's just a wacko. But I think Comey more likely was somebody who came along and said, you know what, Brennan has already started this narrative, this theory over at CIA, so why don't we just run with this? This gives me a perfect opportunity to, at a minimum, create leverage against the President of the United States and more to the point, uh, going beyond that, to put him in a position where he was able to perhaps remove him from office. So this was going after the president, I think, even in, I think going after him in bad faith. Not just going after him in error, which would have been a more charitable reading of what Comey did here. And yet I'm here to tell you, I don't, I don't think that McCabe is going to get prosecuted, which is just, uh, that's as clear a case as you can find of senior FBI guys, they don't have to live by the same laws they want the rest of us to live by. Senior FBI guys don't have to suffer the consequences the way a, a normal, everyday American would. And that's just where it is. That's what, that's what I think is really I think is really going on here. Um, we're going to continue to see this play out. We'll get more information, I think, about the uh, from the Inspector General. There's also the... DOJ investigation that Barr has appointed someone. I think, look, Barr is fantastic in the role, but Barr didn't recommend charges against Comey, and he's not going to recommend charges against uh, any of these government officials, because I think that there's still a, a consideration, there's still a, a belief inside these very powerful government agencies that they need to not allow the political targeting of the previous administration or its people or supporters to be a thing and i'd be all for that except that's exactly what we have with the russia collusion nonsense we had we had obama administration people on this this is this keeps happening where our side the conservatives the right say well we can't go down that road because that would make things you know more difficult that would make things more challenging um you know the other side does these things and then we say oh wait hold on a second even though they've done it 
we don't want to create this, you know, this Pandora's box effect. We, we don't want to, you know, well, the, the box has already been opened. They already weaponized the federal apparatus, the federal bureaucracy for political purposes against an administration. But now we go and we say to ourselves, oh, well, we don't want this to get worse. So we're going to let bygones be bygones here. We're going to pretend that it never really happened the way that you know, we've been told it or the way that we figured out that it happened. I mean, that, that's really what's going on here. That's really the way that they're they're pushing this. And it's just it's very frustrating because we're not going to get justice. We're not going to be told uh, the truth about what's uh, well, we're going to be told the truth, but we're not going to ever see anybody really punished for it, which is deeply frustrating. Um, By the way, one other area where we're not going to get justice is I really would like us to stop hearing this lie. It's a lie that never seems to go away. But it's that, and liberals say this all that I hear liberals continuously saying this. Like they keep saying that Stacey Abrams really won the Georgia uh, gubernatorial race. She did not win. There's no evidence that she won. But Beto keeps perpetuating this, among many others, running around saying that she won the uh, Georgia gubernatorial race. Here is Beto O'Rourke. We have functionally disenfranchised hundreds of thousands of our fellow Americans. But for what you just described, Stacey Abrams would be the governor of the state of Georgia right now. Based on your race and your ethnicity, African-American, Mexican-American, to be specific, you were drawn out of a congressional district to diminish the power of your vote or the likelihood that your voice would ever be heard. So the answer to this has to be a new Voting Rights Act that takes away every single barrier that no longer allows us to gerrymander based on race or ethnicity or party persuasion or anything. Well, how do you get rid of gerrymandering, Beto, when congressional districts are randomly drawn in the first place? Who's going to who's going to determine what's gerrymandered and what's not? The Supreme Court just looked at this. They said, "Sorry, this is the way it goes. States get to determine what their congressional districts are. We leave it to the states. That's the way this is going to go." Maybe some special commission, some co- Oh, you mean like central planning? A bunch of people that are making decisions that they're far away from, they don't really understand, but their word is law. That's a bad idea. That's a bad idea. Um, the new Voting Rights Act that Beto says he wants, he doesn't even know what, it, what would be in it. But more to the point, here's another case where they are lying. They are lying about something. The media is not challenging Beto for saying this. And this is undermined. This is doing... Exactly what they accuse us of doing, we've never, we don't do it, they do it. They say we don't, we're not going to believe the results of an election. They said, oh, Trump's not going to accept the results of an election. Well, Hillary didn't accept the results of the election. Libs have never accepted the results of, of that 2016 election. And on top of that, here you have another lie about another important election that got national level attention. And they just don't stop lying about it. That the reason Stacey Abrams lost is because of racism and disenfranchisement. It's just not true. Have you seen a single lib journalist push any of the Democratic candidates who say this, which uh, many, if not all of them do, for facts? No, of course not. They just always 
They're propagandists, folks. The overseas projects he's trying to defund have some pretty serious foreign policy consequences. Exactly. Is it a done deal, or do you think this is something that still might be blocked? Uh, we have to stop it. We, there is absolutely no choice about having to fight back on this, and this is going to be one big, big battle, not only because of the effect, as you so correctly pointed out, on our relationships, trying to push back on Putin, making sure that he doesn't have the opportunity to overrun Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, which he could do in three short days if we were not there, if those countries were not part of NATO. Uh, beyond that, this is a fundamental issue of the Constitution. The very democracy of America is at stake here. No amount of overstatement is too much for the libs when it comes to President Trump. We know that. We've just, you know, he's he's Hitler. He's the worst president ever. He's crazy. He's, uh, you know, he's a racist. He's a rapist. All these things. We know. They, there's nothing that they will. He's a traitor, of course. There's nothing that they won't say. Uh, they won't say about this president. We've been shown that many times over. Um, but now they're saying that the border wall building is a constitu- is a constitutional crisis. Okay, well let's look a little bit at what they're what they're so objecting to. I mean, we've already had the debate over border wall, and the, the libs were wrong about this. A border wall, wall would be helpful at reducing illegal crossings. Which, by the way, would also be helpful at allowing Border Patrol to do one of their primary jobs, which is drug and narcotics interdiction, which would stem the flow of illegal opioids into this country, including heroin, and which, which are killing tens of thousands of Americans, which any normal person should be much more concerned about than they're concerned about climate change. But libs aren't normal. They've lost it. So now they're trying to find a process argument against the president of the United States building the wall with DOD funds. And I'll, I'll this is from the Wall Street, uh, no, sorry, this is from the New York Times. Oh, of course. I was like, Wall Street Journal, no, no, no. No new school at Fort Campbell. The money went to Trump's border wall. Here's what they're telling you. For almost two decades, families at Fort Campbell, the sprawling army base along the Kentucky-Tennessee border, have borne the brunt of the country's war efforts as a steady clip of troops with the 101st Airborne Division and from Special Operations Units deployed to Afghanistan and Iraq. This week, the families discovered that they would not get the new middle school they were expecting so that President Trump could build his border wall. The school is on the list of 127 projects, nearly every facet of American military life, that will be shifted to uh, or suspended to shift $3.6 billion to the wall. Um, here's the let me look at this list of projects for you for a second. All right. So there are things on here that are no doubt would be would be good to do. But you see, we don't have endless funds. We don't have endless resources. This could have been done very easily if Democrats weren't just for political reasons, completely intransigent and, and not just intransigent but actually actively opposed to border security i mean they are they are against border security and that's why they won't allow any funding for this. i mean three billion dollars in terms of our federal uh, federal budget for a worthwhile project is nothing the drop in the bucket they're so worried about three billion dollars i mean I, I mentioned solidity yesterday uh which had hundreds of millions of dollars and that was just one private solar boondoggle. 
hundreds of millions of dollars of 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 a taxpayer guarantee for the Solyndra project, you know, and that's just one random project that was a company that never that was politically connected, never should have gotten the money that it got. But anyway, three billion dollars for a wall. A wall is really important. So while the New York Times and others are uh, looking at this and saying, oh, my gosh, you know, there's a, a military base that's not going to get the new middle school that it was waiting for. I mean, look, I'm not trying to say that it wouldn't be nice to have a middle school, middle school. They should. But if it's between Fort Campbell getting a new middle school and preventing a few tons of opioids from getting into the country because one sector of the border is finally able to be secured because of the wall. Well, these are the decisions that we make in government all the time. And these are decisions that are being made in the executive branch. And I think the president's well in his rights to do it. I, I think that these these process objections to how this is such a and I, there are even some conservatives who make this. Oh, he can't do this. He can't declare a state of emergency over this. Well, he can and he is. So the objection to it on process grounds, I think, is largely just about whining because to object to it on substantive grounds is to say that one just doesn't at the end of the day one just does not want and does not believe in uh, having a wall uh, on the border because it would help secure the border and they don't want that to happen they they prefer the status quo which is the continuation of infiltration into this country of illegal aliens that's what's really happening here and you know mark morgan of uh of immigration and custom enforcement he he said that there's there's a reason to do this and that he supports the president one of the things they need to effectively do their job is more wall and the president is delivering i have full confidence in the secretary of defense that he is not going to take money that's going to impact his ability to safeguard the national security of this country this wall is part of a national security crisis we have right now neil on this southwest border so mark morgan here is essentially saying the president's right on the substance, but but more than that, I mean, imagine if the Democrats were opposed to a lawfully declared war, and their uh, their version of how they were going to oppose it was would be to say, okay, well we can't stop this war because there's a there's a resolution for it and it, and it's a a lawful war, but we're just going to tell the troops that they can't have you know the we're going to cut their ammunition in half. Would the president of the United States in that circumstance be justified in saying, actually, we're going to take DOD funds and make sure that our troops have plenty of ammunition for the war? Well, now take that to Border Patrol. Border Patrol is a legitimate and lawful mission. They need barriers to help them carry out that mission. That Democrats disapprove of that legitimate and lawful mission does not mean that they get to just play spoiler on it and prevent an important federal agency from doing a job that it is absolutely supposed to do is is valid for it to do. And as I've been telling you, the there's a, a, a few different layers that go into this opposition. One is that they know that Trump following through on this promise is a huge problem for the Democrats in 2020. Because we can play back. It's not just Trump saying build the wall and there will be new wall that's built. 
and then he'll be able to say, we are building the wall, and no one could fact-check him and say, oh, no, we're not, and all this other stuff. But also, think about all the people who were absolutely certain, and there are a lot of them, Democrats and, and some, some uh, so-called conservatives. I don't know how conservative they were. You know, if you're, if you're a conservative and you're voting for Democrats in the 2020 election, you're not a conservative. You're a fake. You're a phony. I mean, we can just we should just say that there's no reason to hold back on that. But the people that were saying there would never be there would just never be a wall. How are they going to look when Trump gets this done? How's it going to look for them when all of a sudden, oh, yeah, it turns out there is a wall. The wall is getting built. The political resonance that this is going to have in 2020 is going to be very meaningful. And so Democrats will stop at nothing here. And, and I do think you're going to have legal challenges. Uh, they may go they may go to the mat on this in ways that I can't even really foresee. I don't know. I don't even know what that would be, but they've got to prevent in their mind. They've got to prevent Trump from from building that wall, because if he builds it, it's a campaign promise fulfilled. They'll look foolish. And I think Trump will be unstoppable going into the 2020 election. Three point seven percent unemployment today. I mean, things are good. Things are good. And. The wall is going to help, but the border is already getting to be more secure. It's still in bad shape, but it's getting better under Trump's watch. So he's trying to deliver, folks. Just got to let us let it continue to play out. You're out of the administration now. Are you still taking heat when you go out to eat? Uh, sometimes, you know, it usually depends on where I am in the country. Um, at like home, where? back home in Arkansas, things have uh, so far been pretty easy and very <laughs> welcoming. Um, what about here in New York City? Uh, it's it's hit or miss. What I always find interesting is 99% of the people that come over to say something negative and to attack you are women, um, and I find that very startling from a uh, you know group of people that claim to be the champions of women empowerment. I'm only the third woman and the first mom to ever be the White House press secretary, and yet women attack me uh, relentlessly instead of you know being proud that we have more women doing uh, those types you ever of say jobs. That to- a few things at work here as Sarah Huckabee Sanders is talking about the way that she is treated now that she is out of the administration. A, a few things that are, are going on. Um, one is that, uh, unfortunately, the libs, and this is the, the shorter conversation, I think, but the libs once again managed to, even even though they've lost and that Trump is president, and Sarah Sanders uh, has become a household name and did a, a very, a very respectable job in that role of White House press secretary. There's a message that has been sent here. And the message is, if you work for a Republican administration, if you work for specifically the Trump administration, you're fair game. People are going to come after you. They're going to be mean to you. They're going to try and and hurt your career. They're going to go. Th- they're going to try to make an effort to make your life more difficult. That's that's what they plan to do. That's what they're going to do, and that has an effect. It has an effect on who's willing to go work for an administration. It has an effect on uh, what kind of people are willing to put themselves in that uh, reputa- with that reputational risk uh, in play. And so that's that's already something you have to keep in mind is that this this doesn't happen. This didn't happen to any Obama administration officials. It, it just didn't. They weren't worried about going to restaurants in any city. 
But the more interested, but you are you already know that, right? But this is what they do. I mean, libs they they can't help themselves. They've become they've really become radicalized leftists. It's, it's to be a radicalized leftist now is a much more uh, it's just very it's mainstream. It's really not radical. I mean, it's radical from our perspective, but it's not rare. Usually, you think of radicals as outliers, but that's not always the case. Sometimes the radicals are the ones in charge. And right now, with the uh, the left. The way that it is, the Democrat Party in this country is run by the more radical uh, elements of it. Uh, but then there's the component of this discussion that, uh, that Sarah Huckabee Sanders brings up where she's talking about women and how it's women who go up to her, which I have to say is not is not surprising to me. And this is a reminder of a very common difference I see between uh, the way that liberal women often, right, we're speaking in generalities here, so there's, this is never going to be perfect, but how liberal women often act and the way more conservative women act in public. And what I mean here is that the uh, liberal women have been told that their perspective as leftists is the only acceptable perspective for a woman to have this is this is an extension of the identity politics that so dominates the left liberal women have been told that their version of being a or their version of the world as women is the only one that is acceptable for a woman to have and so when they come across a a woman who does not hold their does not share their beliefs is not involved in their uh, their worldview they feel entirely justified in being very nasty to that person because she's betraying her gender. That's where this really, that's where this really comes to a head. They're, they're betraying. They view Sarah Huckabee Sanders as a gender, the liberal women, as a gender betrayer. I just don't come across conservative women who feel the same need uh, I mean, I can tell you this. I do not know anybody personally who I would I would expect to go up to a female member of the Obama administration, you know, the former Obama administration, and say anything nasty to them. And I would be very embarrassed if anyone that I considered a friend or an associate did that. I'd be embarrassed by even if I had nothing to do with it. It would still be an embarrassment. Liberals, they don't mind this stuff. They don't mind getting shrill and nasty and attacking and this is why someone like sarah huckabee sanders now has to always be paying attention to this i mean think about what that would be like for the rest of your life you're in a restaurant at least for the next few years you're in a restaurant and someone could come up to you you're just trying to have a nice time enjoy a meal with your you know your husband or your wife and your kids and someone's maybe going to come along and say something really nasty to you and i just want to ask them what, what exactly is sarah huckabee's crime that she worked for president trump a lot of people work for president trump and President Trump, up to this point in time, you know, if you if you look at what had gone on, what had happened in the uh, first three years of the Obama administration versus what's happened in the first three years of the Trump administration, uh, Trump is just objectively doing a better job as president. I think he's just better at this job. He doesn't do it in a way that liberals and the elites think he should. His tone is wrong for them. His approach is wrong for them. That's all. Yeah, I get that. You know, that's all going on. But 
The fact of the matter is that by all the metrics that where you can gauge this, uh, Trump is actually doing quite well. And that doesn't matter to the, the, the liberals, the leftists who want to go and attack uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders and try to ridicule her in public and make her feel small as though she's a bad person. This should be repudiated that the left does not share this broadly speaking. And I'll tell you, I've spoken to even people in the media who are Democrats and they'll say, you know, sorry, if you work for Trump, you know, you get you get what you deserve. Sorry, I, you know, I don't really want to hear it. You know, if you work for Trump, this is kind of the this is kind of the way it's going to be. They, they don't they're not appalled by this. They weren't appalled by it when we went through that phase. Uh, what was it about a year ago where you had people being chased out of restaurants who were conservative? You, know, you had Sarah Huckabee Sanders. You had uh, Kristen Nielsen. Obviously, they showed up at Tucker Carlson's house. He doesn't work for the administration, but he's considered pro-Trump, and that can be enough. And I'll just say it to you right now. I, I am in the town that I was born and raised in where I know, I know this place very, very well. And I also know that if I walked around any neighborhood in Manhattan uh, with a MAGA hat on, there is a very high likelihood that somebody would that people would sneer at me, uh, curse at me. Somebody might even stop and try to tell me off, you know, try to have some words with me uh, for wearing a hat that has the slogan associated with the president, the sitting president of the United States. That tells you something. This, this is, this is different. You wouldn't, you haven't had this in the past. Uh, You, you would have been able, I think, to walk around with a, a Bush, uh, a, a Bush Cheney T-shirt on in the early 2000s, and people wouldn't have liked it. I'm not saying that they wouldn't have been on your team with it, but they probably wouldn't have, you know, thrown rotten tomatoes at you. Now, now you better get ready to duck because they're going to come after you because nastiness has been mainstreamed on the left, as Sarah Huckabee Sanders has found out many times herself. I don't love what he's doing for this city, and it worries me. Right. Listen, I'm a Christian, I love everyone, and I love him, but I don't love what he's doing for this city, and it worries me. Right. When I moved here, everyone said, you cleaned up Times Square. I don't want it to go back to that. How do you feel about Mayor de Blasio in the direction of this great city? It breaks my heart. And I worked um, tirelessly to do, to do that. There were times I didn't think I could do it. A lot of my friends told me I couldn't do it. A lot of my friends told me I was crazy to run for mayor. I should run for governor. Bill de Blasio is the mayor of New York City. He logged, I think it was single digits for uh, total time working at at City Hall uh, for the month of August. The guy is considered incredibly uh, lazy and just uh, something of a, of, a, of a political wastrel. I mean, the guy just doesn't doesn't really do anything other than run for president incredibly unsuccessfully and also do a little bit of social justice bowing here and there, trying to get people, different constituencies to think that he's on their side. You know, but, but de Blasio is a, is a complete buffoon. As I've said, only mayor of New York City, the biggest city in the United States, only the mayor of the city where I'm doing the show right now, really because Anthony Weiner couldn't bring himself to stop sending Weiner photos to people, including uh, 
to a, a a girl who was who was underage, and you know now he got obviously he got sent to prison for that. So there were some very particular and peculiar uh, peculiar circumstances that led to this. And the truth is, uh, De Blasio never should have been the mayor of anything. I mean, De Blasio shouldn't be the mayor of a city with eight thousand people, never mind eight million people. But it's also a reminder about how you know leftists uh, they never learn their lessons about cities. Uh, you show me a city that is run by far left liberals, and I'll show you a city that is in decline now. In the case of New York, it got so safe, it was so cleaned up, and there was such a a concentration of wealth here. New York City became a real estate haven where people from all over the world would basically dump their money into very high-end real estate here where it would be safe and also would appreciate. It was a great investment. If you could afford to spend $10 million on an apartment in New York City, believe it or not, there's a lot of those, uh... You know, there's some states where the most expensive house in the whole state, I think, is like three, four million bucks. In New York City, there are ten million. There are buildings full of nothing but ten million dollar apartments, pretty much. There's some apartments here that go upwards of a hundred million dollars. So there's a tremendous amount of wealth concentration here, and because of that, and because of the turnaround in crime from the Giuliani era, you have accumulated a lot of and look Bloomberg did a pretty good job running the city too I think that people need to give credit where it's due on that Bloomberg is terrible on guns he's a big nanny state guy he's like no more using straws no more big sodas you know Bloomberg is that's a little bit of an exaggerated Bloomberg accent but you get the idea kind of sounds like that you know like Senor Bloomberg Habla Espanol. I'll never forget what he would he would kick into his uh, his version of Spanish sometimes during the, you know, uh, Habla es, uh, Piquito Espanol, Bloomberg, Bloombergo. Uh, but he did a good job. The problem you run into with liberals is that they ruin things in stages. And because it can take time for a place to be ruined, no lib is ever really held responsible, and in fact, they will always claim that their ideologically motivated decisions had nothing to do with it. You see this in San Francisco, you see this in Los Angeles, you're seeing this now in New York City. It's never that changing the dynamic between uh, City Hall and the police force, deciding that cops are, are going to be political pawns who sometimes get fed to the lions, uh, Thinking that that living, being able to live on the streets is a is some basic human right that you can be a vagrant, that you can live on the sidewalks, pitch a tent, you know, relieve yourself in public, do it, do whatever you got to do. Liberals are supportive of this. It, it is it is surprising at some level. You would think that they would much rather create larger uh, shelter and 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 even mental health uh, support systems for people that are that are homeless but liberals have taken this position of it's a it's a right you you have a, a a fundamental right to live as a homeless person on the streets of whatever major american city you want including all of the uh issues that come up as a result of that with crime and sanitation and just also bring look. Let's be honest. Bring down property values. I mean, who who wants to live across the street from a tent city? Uh, who wants to live across the street from people who are living on the street? This is 
a problem in New York. Uh, I, I can tell you that I was in uh, Times Square very early in the morning on my way to a Fox hit last weekend and had a very, it was early, so early in the morning that I don't even remember it all that well, but I was uh, approached and accosted, and I'm from here. I mean, I grew up here, and I'm, I know some of you would be surprised, but I'm, a, I'm a, not a small, not a small dude. Uh, I'm six feet tall and 200 pounds. And a guy came over and was very aggressive, demanding money, uh, not not asking, you know, politely, excuse me, sir, could I, you know, it, it, he was very aggressive. He was demanding that I give him money. And I, believe it or not, kind of kind of barked at him, like not actually barked, but kind of, you know, said bleep off, buddy. And uh, but I hadn't seen, you know, there's there's an aggression on the streets now. There's a sense of lawlessness. And I, I know it because I lived it before in the 90s when I was growing up here and it's coming back. And the problem is that, you know, de Blasio is going to point to, oh, the crime rate is still super low. It's still or at least the homicide rate is very low. I, I do not believe that the overall crime rate, if you include uh, nuisance crimes and quality of life crimes. I do not believe that that continues to go down. I think that 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 is almost certainly, but that's very hard to gauge. A lot of that is anecdotal. That's why someone like de Blasio will have his number crunchers play games with that to make it seem like it's not that bad. But this is one of the issues we have is that we can tell that so- we can tell someone that what they're doing is wrong. You can tell a Democrat, you can tell a lib, you know, you're ruining the school system. You're ruining the city. You're ruining the economy, whatever it may be. And they will, over the course of the stages of that ruination, find scapegoats, find some way to blame somebody else, and, and, and avoid accountability for it. I mean, I can tell you that it will take a while, but New York does feel like it is, it is uh, very much on a downward slope in terms of uh, quality of life, uh, cleanliness, crime, and de Blasio, by the time we figure out that there has been this shift and you know, crime in a major city is, is also is a very complicated sociological phenomenon. It's there's a lot that goes into it. By the time we figure out that New York has started to really head in the wrong direction, de Blasio will pretty much be gone. And he'll be saying that, oh, look at how good look at how good it was when I was in office. This next person ruined it. And that's how you that's how you never managed to get anyone to admit that they were wrong. There's always a way to blame somebody else. You know, libs can, and it takes time to ruin something. Libs have a long, uh, a long fuse sometimes on destroying a city, destroying a a neighborhood, whatever it may be. And you know, De Blasio is doing it here to my hometown. I'm telling you, I can see it. The president actually sent out a tweet. He made fun of me for talking about climate change in the middle of a blizzard, and he called me Snow Woman. So I wrote back, hey, Donald Trump, the science is on my side, and I'd like to see how your hair would fare in a blizzard. So I wrote back, Donald Trump, the science is on my side, and I'd like to see how your hair would fare in a blizzard. Sometimes, if you haven't noticed, you use a little humor. Like when he called me snow woman at my announcement in the middle of that thing, I wrote back on Twitter, I'd like to see how your hair would fare in a blizzard. So I wrote back, hey, Donald Trump. So I wrote back, uh, hey, Donald Trump. So I wrote back, I wrote back, I tweeted back. 
So, so I, I've got a joke for you. It's Amy Klobuchar here. So I wrote to Donald Trump, I'd like to see how your hair would fare in a... <laughs> Oh, man. Amy Klobuchar, Democrat candidate. She has a joke. She's got one joke, apparently, and she likes to tell that joke a lot. Now, there's a a bigger uh, message that I have for you than just making fun of Amy Klobuchar, who does manage to make uh, Hillary Clinton seem more personally appealing by comparison. You know, Amy Klobuchar is is right in that same that same level of wow! I can't believe people vote for this person, and and want to spend time around her as a politician, or believe that she understands their needs and connects with them on a personal level. I don't know how she connects with anybody on a personal level, but this is a and it's, it's a continuing uh, theme here on the show that our sense of the elites is eroding not because of an undue cynicism and not because we are failing to cherish our most important institutions and all this other other stuff you hear from the elites and their lackeys. Remember, there are a lot of people that want to do the bidding of the elites in our society, never want to speak the truth to you because they want to feed from the trough, too. They, they want to get in on the action. But the familiarity that we have People say that uh, familiarity breeds contempt. The familiarity we have with our political ruling class because of social media, because of the 24-hour news cycle we have, and just the general connectedness that we all have. You know, I can do a search on Amy Klobuchar and see a lot of things that she said and read a lot of things that either she's written or things that have been said about her. I can do that very easily. And then find myself drawing a conclusion about her competence, her ability. This is a new thing in human history. I mean, you've got to remember, maybe back in the day when somebody was running for running for president. Let's even say in this country. I mean, if you're running for president in this country in the uh, 1820s, no one really is going to see you who's casting votes. I mean, maybe they'll see you at one speech. They don't know what you're like in person. They don't know what you really think, and they can't pull up immediately at the at the touch of a button every bill you've ever supported as a let's say a state senator. They can't bring up every gaffe you've ever made. What we're dealing with as a society is far more information, far more information about candidates, about the people that are in charge, and as we learn more about them, we're less likely to defer to them. In essence, someone like Amy Klobuchar, why the heck am I going to listen to her about anything? What does Amy Klobuchar know that I don't know? You know what? What is she really able to um, to bring to this? I, I don't know. I think that's a, a very fair question, and it's also true about Joe Biden, whom I've got to tell you, and I, I've been speaking to some sources about this recently, who have been in the political game a very long time, and don't like to get down into the into the mud, but what, everyone keeps saying the same thing about Biden, who knows him, who's been around him, that he doesn't have it in him. He's really he's really pretty worn out, and that he's dumb. This is the thing that you hear from people, and I know that the left 
But the left says this about every Republican. They say Bush is dumb, Trump is dumb, Romney's dumb. You know, everybody who's a Republican is dumb. So they're they overuse it. Just like they say everybody's a racist on the right. We're all racists, and everybody who's on the right is dumb. This is this is the left wing, the the laziness of left wing attacks against conservatives. But when you hear it about Biden, people seem to really believe it. They really just think that he's kind of he's kind of a dumbass. This is what you'll hear. People will say that very and very confidently like they don't they're not making a difficult decision they're not making a difficult choice with all of this so amy klobuchar obviously does not have a future as a a stand-up comedian and i really believe that joe biden doesn't have a future as president of the united states because i think that he's not going to win the primary if he does win the primary i think he has almost no chance of winning the general election even the, the polls tell me i'm wrong i'm aware of that i'm aware that on a polling level, it should be, uh, it shouldn't be a, it shouldn't even be close right now. They're saying that Biden's way ahead of him. Oh, anyway, Dr. Mark Siegel over at uh, at Fox talked about some of the medical. And look, I was telling you this: the way that they've gone after Trump with the uh, with the removal from office under the Twenty Fifth Amendment, you know that they've made medical and age discussions completely fair game which I think is now going to come back to bite them at some level because Biden is clearly worse for wear, and Biden is not doing well. And there was that moment where his eye filled with blood during the climate change. And look, you know, because we're, we're also good human beings. Like, I want Biden to be in good health as a human being. I want him to be okay. I don't like seeing an elderly gentleman have his eye fill with blood, especially in a very crowded place where everyone's looking at him. It's it's uh, it's unsettling. It's unsettling. Um, but here's what uh, Dr. Mark Siegel over at Fox says about Biden's overall health, which, as we know, is, is fair game to discuss. Biden did have blood in his eye. What might that have been? Now, that's the more dramatic. And by the way, I'm, of course, I haven't examined them. I'm not his physician, but that appears to me yes. to be something called a subconjunctival hemorrhage, which sounds worse than it is. It's a blood vessel leaking just below the eye. And usually it's benign. It goes away on its own and it's nothing to worry about. He appeared confused. That's been happening with increasing uh, amount where he forgot, seems yeah. to forget what state he's in or the timeline of the park, the Parkland school shooting. Things like that are really concerning to me. And again, I don't know the answer to why that's happening, but I want to point something out. He had those aneurysms clipped surgically back in 1988. You know what happened in 1990? We developed a new technique to do that where we went in through the artery itself, which was a miracle, a change. So Biden's health is going to be a big discussion. They, they tried to hide the fact that Hillary, obviously, it was a little shakier on the health front than they wanted anyone to believe. But we don't have to worry about Hillary these days. She doesn't look like she's going to get in, at least not from what I can tell at this point. But Biden's health, Biden's age, you're going to hear a lot more discussion about this. I'm still still sticking to it. With uh, my my claim that Biden's not going to be the nominee, um, I, I don't know. I've doubled down on this so much, I can't back off of it now. I just don't think it's going to happen. The bigger picture pro- problem here is this is about an actual emergency situation. Most of the president's lies are not about actual emergencies. This one is different. It's about a hurricane. He's been lying to the country about the hurricane with regards to Alabama ever since Sunday. 
Now he's watching TV coverage, he's getting mad at our fact checks, and he's lashing out again and again and again. It's a, a real sign of weakness, not strength. When he doubles down, it's a sign of weakness. And I think if we were to take him at his word for a moment, which is dangerous because he's usually not telling the truth, if we were to take him at his word, if he actually believed Alabama was in danger, that shows a shocking lack of knowledge about geography, science, and storms. Anybody who's watched cable news for a few minutes knows how hurricanes work. Y'all would know just by looking at a map that on Sunday morning, Alabama was going to be spared. This was going to be a Florida and the Carolina storm. Everybody watching television knew that. See, here's an example of where the media thinks that they are being the the guardians of our republic and they're really just being uh, uh, annoying hall monitors. There's this fixation on whether or not Trump said that uh, Hurricane Dorian was going to be a threat to, or, or rather when Trump said it would be a threat to Alabama. They keep going back and forth on this one. And it's a reminder that, you know, look, Trump can be a little bit uh, a little bit thin skinned or or decides that he's going to fight. He fights on things where he doesn't have to sometimes. And maybe it's just because he's always in fight mode with the media. I can understand that. But they love to get into this. And, and I would note that turns out there are uh, there there's some reporting from CNN itself that mentioned, I mean, just play it for you, that mentioned the state of Alabama. But there are many states that are under threat right now, Derek. At least six, from the Carolinas right through Georgia coastline into Florida, certainly, and then also even into the Gulf of Mexico, Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, you need to be on the lookout. Now, that's, you know, he mentioned Alabama. You know, the president said that he thought Alabama was under threat. They're saying that it never was, and the president's lying. I, I don't really... Other than just to, to stick a, a thumb in the president's eye, and he won't let them do that, so he'll keep fighting and doubling down. This is where the media just lacks judgment, lacks context. This is not an important issue. Whether the president said that he thought a storm was threatening Alabama or not isn't an important issue, but they make it a much more important issue. They try to make it a much more important issue, and they say, oh, well, the president's lying again. I ask, is, what's more important? What's more important for the public to understand, to debate, to discuss that the president may have said that Alabama was under some kind of threat or that, say, Mayor Pete Buttigieg is running around telling people as a presidential candidate, uh, telling people that Climate change threatens hundreds of millions of lives. Okay, so the climate crisis, is that the very first thing, if you were elected president, that you would tackle, or are there other things on day one that you would do first? It needs immediate attention on day one because this is a threat to our entire way of life. Hundreds of millions of lives are on the line. I know usually the way we talk about it is save the planet. I'm interested in saving lives, and there are lives in danger every time we see more frequent and more severe storms when we're looking at droughts, what's going to happen to food supply. And this is upon us. This is no longer some distant theoretical thing. This is no longer just happening on the North or South Pole. This is happening to our country right now. It's getting worse, and we've got to act. Completely irrational. It's completely irrational. You want to talk about lies. I mean, this is just this is all a lie. The whole climate change. Oh, my gosh. Hundreds of millions of lives on the line. It's it's an enormous lie and a very damaging one, as I tried to discuss with you yesterday. People like Bernie Sanders running around saying that they think abortion in the developing world is something that we should be promoting because 
we need to control global population. We absolutely do not need to control global population through abortion. I mean, it's immoral, but even beyond the immorality of it, there's just no reason to do it. It doesn't make any sense. It's a fake problem. The problem of global global overpopulation isn't a problem in the first place. The problem of climate change catastrophe isn't a problem in the first place. But they'll let Mayor Pete say that without challenging him. I suppose because every journalist believes this, too. Journalists believe whatever they think will make them sound smart. They're, they're generally journalists are generally lacking in in principle and are much more concerned with perception. Perception is what drives most of the media coverage you see. Most journalists are obsessed with how they will be viewed for an idea, how they'll be viewed on a certain issue. Uh, that's that's the reality of it. Um, and that's what you see going on on all these networks and all these major places. But to, to drill down into Trump on Alabama, uh, to me, just seems like another another instance of they would rather talk about whether Trump told the fib or was wrong on something that is entirely inconsequential in the grand scheme of things than focus on the enormously consequential and, and unfortunately very damaging lies about things like climate change. I, I've never been able to do a show like the one we did yesterday where I we were running out of time to go through all of it. Because, of course, they did this seven-hour long, which that's crazy. That, that they really think we need to hear from all these different Democrats. They all believe the same thing. They all, they're all reading from the same sheet of music. They're all a bunch of wackos. And they this is just where they are on this. They're all going to, in one way or another, support a government takeover of the economy under the rubric of Green New Deal, energy, you know, green energy, renewables, climate change. It's all the same thing. It's, it's not like one of them has a really novel idea for how to deal with this. I mean, Andrew Yang, I'm sure, has some weird ideas for it. But, you know, Yang, Yang's worn pretty thin on me. I'll be honest with you. I'm not really... Not really feeling like uh, I need to hear much more from Andrew Yang about anything. He does have ideas. They're just not very good ideas. There was no pushback at all from anyone in the media about this climate change nonsense. I should say no one at CNN, certainly. Um, but maybe that shouldn't be surprising. By the way, the uh, I, I think I've, I've told some of you this before, I believe. Well, I guess I've told all of you if I said it on air. But I uh, walked away from CNN in the at the end of 2016 they requested that i stay and i said i'm going Uh, which for somebody who at the time really didn't even have it was before i was hired here to do syndicated radio i didn't even really have a job i just didn't want to be working at cnn in its era of trump hatred because i was very aware that there was a it's a personal vendetta what you see is a, a news network has been commandeered by jeff zucker in the service of a personal grudge. He has just decided that that CNN is going to be a, a weapon of propaganda against Donald Trump. That's what's going to happen. That's his decision. That's his choice. And I didn't want to be around that, knew what that would mean for me as, as, a, as a CNN contributor at the time. And that's why I'm not at all surprised to see what has just happened here to someone that I've, I've done some work with in 
the past, uh, which is uh, with a young woman named Eliana Johnson. She is going to be the editor-in-chief of the Washington Free Beacon and has come out and just said, look, uh, they didn't renew her. They didn't renew her at CNN to be a contributor, and it's very clear to anybody paying attention why that is, because she's going to work for the Free Beacon, which is considered a conservative publication. She had been a White House correspondent at Politico. This is a perfect example of the way the media landscape works right now. You can work at a liberal organization as long as you suppress your conservatism and nobody really knows. But the moment that it's clear you're going to be a conservative, you get put into a, a different pile. You get treated very differently. I mean, I was treated very differently once I started openly supporting Trump on air. I wasn't just the guy who knew a bunch about terrorism and could do that analysis. I was part of the problem. So Zucker's war against all things Trump had had many, many casualties in a sense. And I'm just sorry to see Eliana Johnson, I think, feels pretty uh, snubbed by CNN not renewing her after letting her when she was a White House correspondent for Politico, but this is the way it is. This is the way it is. If if you're if you come out as a conservative, if you come out as a conservative in this environment, you have real career risk. There are people who will not hire you. There are people who do not want to be uh, associated with your career, and unfortunately, there are people in positions of power, and they're the kind of people that hire the Brian Stelters of the world to talk nonsense about what Trump said about Alabama. I always thought that vaping was the much safer alternative to cigarettes. And I'm not somebody who's ever smoked. In fact, I can tell you I have never smoked a, a cigarette. Uh, I've never smoked one. I just didn't, wasn't my thing, didn't appeal to me. Um, I tried a cigar once or twice, and I, I've got to say cigars, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's not my thing. It's not really my thing. I, I like some delicious booze and wine, but cigar, I haven't, I never developed a taste. Were you a cigar smoker, Mark? No. Didn't think so. So The only thing I've smoked, uh, I shouldn't say on the radio. Well, I gave it up uh, after 9-11, but that makes two of us. So I want to go into the CIA, so I said, no more of that. No more of that. You know, what is it? Uh, wacko tobacco, right? Uh, what are they? Mary Jane... Uh, the ganj. What are the, the ganj. Thank you. I'm trying to think of the cool. What, what do the cool kids call it? I got to remember these things. I can't always tell. I'm, I'm not always certain of, of what the cool kids say. But vaping seemed like this really uh, good alternative, right? Vaping seemed like something that you'd be able to replace smoking with. And it's water vapor, so it's far less harmful. It's far easier on the lungs, and uh, it turns out there's still some problems with vaping other than the addiction to nicotine. Now, nicotine is the drug, as we all know, that's in cigarettes. It makes them so very, very addictive. But all that other stuff, uh, the tar and the different carcinogens in the tobacco smoke, that's what's really bad for you. That's the stuff that is such a clear link to lung cancer, emphysema, all the things that we've known for quite, for quite some time. Well, I'm seeing all these stories about how vaping is killing people. Uh, you saw this. This was in the Daily Mail today, some other places, too, that vaping has killed a third person and has left 450 people sick. CDC health officials warn the habit is behind a deadly new lung disease that has spread to 33 states across the country. 
I just don't understand what is going on here. I, I don't understand what the situation is. 215 cases confirmed. Uh, FDA has warned that cannabis vaping related deaths may be caused by a vitamin E derived oil. It's unclear what's going on with any of this. You got vaping related lung illness. It's now killed four people. They're saying Many, but not all, the severe lung illnesses have involved THC, the psychoactive ingredient in cannabis, as well as nicotine. And uh, yeah, yeah, we gotta, we gotta figure this out. I don't know what, I don't know what's going on here. I'm surprised. I remember there was a there was a brief period when people used to think that uh, you could do that. They call it uh, shisha in most places. Smoking shisha or nargila. It's a Middle Eastern water pipe. And you know these places. Have you have you ever done this before? Where you go in and you uh, yeah hookah lounge. Who exact hookah? That's yeah. yeah that's what most okay. Well, people say smoking shisha or nar, uh, nargila. I think is what they call it in either Lebanon or Egypt. But yeah, hookah lounge. That's exactly right. Hookah is the name of the, of the pipe, I think. And you know you see people doing this, and you, you always know because you go past it, and it's like oh, it smells like pomegranate, and like oh, it's you know you, you have all these different flavors. Turns out that's really bad for you. Uh, that is not just because it smells fruity fresh doesn't mean that you don't have any any issues there. Um, but this is a this is a real surprise. You have now people thinking that vaping is so much safer, no no problem at all. Uh, and it turns out that's not the case. Um, after doing a full X-ray of his lungs, this is uh, talking about this is from the Chicago Tribune, an 18 year old. Uh, in Illinois was hospitalized after developing what seemed like a flu and then nausea and vomiting. And then a scan of his stomach revealed just the very bottom of his lungs. Even from that small fraction of an image, doctors could tell something was off. This is all according to the Daily Mail reporting on the Chicago Tribune. After doing a full x-ray of his lungs, doctors told Adam his chest looked like that of a man in his 70s. He'd been vaping for about two years starting with mint and mango nicotine e-liquids, but eventually graduating the THC dab sticks he bought off the street. Last week, the CDC uh, warned Americans against these very bootleg products. Uh, by the time of his lung x-ray, Adam's lung function was so poor, by then he had to be placed on oxygen. Doctors started him on a course of antibiotics and steroids. He's improving, but his love, uh, lungs may not recover for weeks or even months, according to doctors. Newly dubbed a disease, these lung illnesses are too recent for anyone to know long-term effects. What is this? I don't don't even know. I guess no one really knows what's going on, but it just goes to show you. People think of lungs, I I guess, as because we've been smoking for such a long time. You know, your your lung is very, uh, very soft and important tissue. And to put stuff in there that shouldn't be in there, I think, is just a generally a very bad idea. I don't even want to think about how bad it is to be in some of these major cities that we're in. I'm sure it's terrible. I mean, I'm here in New York City. It's not as bad as Beijing and Shanghai and some of these other places, but it's not good. It's not good for your lungs. Anyway, I thought that, va- I thought that vaping might be the cure for cigarettes, and it looks like now vaping has its own, its own risks. So, you know, you just never know, folks. Science comes along. They, they like to pretend like science is always settled, but then I always, I always tell people, you know, is butter good for you? Should you drink whole milk or skim milk? 
Is uh, is meat good for you? Oh, turns out I've got something for you on that. That's right. I'm not. I'm not just throwing it out there that we could discuss whether or not meat is good for you. It turns out that there is a new study came from CNN. Researchers found that vegetarians and vegans had a 20% higher risk of stroke than meat eaters, particularly hemorrhagic stroke. This translates to three more cases of stroke per thousand people over 10 years. Now, that doesn't seem all that statistically significant, really, in the grand scheme of things. But I'm just going to take that to be, do you want to die from a brain hemorrhage or not? If the answer is no, eat red meat. There you go. Healthier for you than being a, a vegan. I'm sorry. Yeah, vegetarians and vegans. I don't know how vegans do it. That just strikes me as no matter what the health benefits are, it's just too, it's just too uh, austere, too difficult, too complicated. I, I couldn't imagine somebody saying, oh, I'm just going to all of a sudden give up all dairy, all meat, all fish, everything. Just living on plants, basically. Plants and nuts. And uh, what else? What else do vegans eat? Soy stuff. The Beyond Burger. Yeah, no, I had it. It's okay. But people keep telling me that it's so healthy. And then I look at the ingredients. And the ingredients, it's like you're reading the back of a shampoo bottle with all the different chemicals in there. There's a lot of stuff in Beyond Meat Burgers. You know what's in the burger that I had for lunch today? Meat. Dead cow. That's how I like it. Team Buck, it's time for roll call. It is a rainy mess here in New York City. Fortunately, I leave a pair of old, very comfy sweats here in the Freedom Hut because I walked in sopping wet. No fun at all. Uh, I was wearing my duck boots, though. It's never, never a bad idea to throw those, throw those bad boys on your feet when you're uh, out there in in the wetness. All right, Facebook.com/slash Buck Sexton. That's the way it's gonna go. That's the way it's gonna be. Let's see what we got here in the latest on our Facebook. And by the way, producer Mark, do we do we have an email address yet? Do we know? Still being worked on. It's a Friday. Come on. Oh, gosh. Uh, I don't know why. This is so hard. I try so hard to get this done. I really do. You think work gets done around here on Fridays? Oh, man. It's like, how hard can this be? But it'll. I guess it'll all, it'll all be okay, Buckster. Owen, it's perfect steak recipe. Uh, this works best with filet mignon, and it's a long steak recipe. Enjoy. Okay. Thank you, Owen. I appreciate that. Also, Owen writes, Buck, I totally agree. Master and Commander is a terrific movie and would recommend Hacksaw Ridge if you haven't seen it. Uh, well, I would have to agree with you on Master and Commander because I obviously said I think that it's fantastic. And it's uh, and Hacksaw Ridge, I thought, was a very good movie. I, I was a little bit skeptical at first as Hacksaw Ridge was, was getting going. I didn't think it was necessarily going to really deliver but it's an amazing movie and then when you read the uh, the real medal of honor citation that that guy got it's just an incredible story uh, producer mark you seen hacksaw ridge i have not add that to your list man i will that's a very 
you know, next time you're like, what movie should I watch? Should I download on Amazon Prime or whatever, or whatever the Amazon platform is? You should download Hacksaw Ridge. Very, very good movie. Um, and obviously, I like Master and Commander a lot, too. I can't remember the last really good war epic that was made. I think it's been a long time. Was it Dunkirk? I thought Dunkirk was boring. Really? I, thought I enjoyed it, it. I thought it was boring. Yeah, a lot if, of guys if, were if like, that's what I'm thinking of, I thought I loved uh, it. Was it's like, what's going on? What are the, what are, you know, where are the ships? They're like, all right, I get it. Like, they're waiting for the ships to arrive. But there's a lot of just guys on a beach. And then a lot of dudes on the boats. Maybe going, I'm thinking know. of the one with the, the medic who helped everyone without a gun. That's Hacksaw Ridge. Oh, that is. then I did see Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah. I'm the worst. Yeah, dude, of course. I'm the worst it. with the name of the movie. I can tell you that's the plot, but I don't know the name. That's a fantastic yeah, movie. You're right. It was great. Yeah. I don't need to, I'll take it right off my list. Yeah. All right. Um, Eric. Buck, speaking on a conservative book about climate change and fossil fuels, I studied environmental geology with an emphasis on environmental conservation and restoration. My senior thesis was on sustainable farming practices. I wholeheartedly viewed oil companies as of the devil. Still hold that the earth as a whole is valuable and is our responsibility to protect it. That being said, the book that took me off the ledge of left-wing crazy was A Moral Case for Fossil Fuels by Alex Epstein. It's a well-written book and, and makes great points. Um, highly recommend any of these to you and your listeners. Shields high. Uh, well, thank you, Eric. Um, I, will, I will check that out. I still think that there's a big opening for somebody to write the definitive refutation of climate change catastrophe nonsense. I still think that that's, there's an opening for that. I really do. Uh, let's see what we have here. Harry writes, hey, Buck, I assume, whoops, I don't know why they're going to the, the wrong part of my feed all of a sudden. Harry writes, uh, the mainstream media is looking for any bad news they can uh, to blame on Trump. The latest job numbers are a case in point. Only 130,000 new jobs were added last month, supposedly less than expected. But if 30 million people need a job and 500,000 jobs are added, that is not as good news as 1 million people needing jobs and 100,000 finding one. Uh, apparently, the MSM didn't go to the same high school you or I attended. Shields High. Um, okay. Thanks, Harry. Appreciate you uh, writing in, man. Sheldon. Shields High, Buck. Love your show. You keep me safe and warm all day and all night. Whoa, Sheldon. Hey, buddy. Glad I can help. Glad I can be of service. Keep hearing about ban uh, banning plastic straws and only using the paper ones. I live in Texas, so it's not a big problem here yet, but I've thought of a way to fight back when I end up in a place that only has paper straws. When I see it, I immediately ask for 20 straws, then replace the straw with a new one each time to take a drink so it's a good, firm straw. Maybe if everyone would do this, they will learn that it's, not just, uh, that it's just not cost-effective. Let's fight back. Sheldon from Texas. Well, it's one way to go. Making straws a pretty big part of your routine here, Sheldon, but I hear you. I hear you. The paper straws are ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Look, plastic is an amazing material. Plastic is great. I know that right now people like to demonize plastic, but plastic is fantastic. Ooh, that rhymed. Plastic is fantastic. That should be, I should be on one of those 
national ad campaigns where they come up with the annoying, catchy slogan. Yep, totally. Adam, Buck, are you going to talk about T-Swift being dethroned by an unknown band, Shields High? Uh, I don't know what we're talking well, about. What, he said, mentions Tool here. How is T-Swift uh, dethroned by Tool? I don't know who Tool is. Tool's a band. Never heard of them. I, I don't think she's number one in the, in the top 50 right now. Maybe that's what he's talking about. I have no idea what he's talking about. Adam, you're going to have to explain this one, dude. You're, you're confusing the whole team right now. No one really knows what's going on here. Al, call me Al. Al writes, great segment with Sean Parnell. I don't think he ever said what his favorite war movie is. Ironically... I just ordered Outlaw Platoon today, Shields High. Well, Al, I think you'll really enjoy Outlaw Platoon. It's an excellent book. I don't just say that because Sean is my uh, my friend. Uh, I think you'll all really enjoy it. It's it, it, it's very uh, it's written from the perspective of a lot of humility, but also somebody who saw some really intense action, uh, saw some really up-close and personal combat. William Dave Chappelle was awesome. I understand how you think some of his jokes fell flat, but if you grew up in the South, everything was spot on. Thanks for the recommendation. Now, William, I'm so glad you enjoyed him. I thought Dave Chappelle was, uh, I thought he did a fantastic job. I really appreciated a comedian who's willing to make jokes that he knows uh, will upset the, the social justice squad. Um, that's something that's very rare these days. Very few comedians are willing to do that. There are very few comedians out there who will do something that could get them in any trouble at all. So what they do is they just all parrot each other, the same kinds of jokes, making fun of the same kinds of people. It's just boring. It's just boring. Simply is. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Casey. All right. Hey, Buck. In comment to Tuesday's show on Mad Dog Mattis. Oh, here we go. I served under him as my commandant in the Marines. I have much respect for the man, and in many ways he is somewhat of a knife-hand ninja to us. Uh, however, I can explain the 7,000 books theory. You see, we Marines love our crayons. I prefer the flavored ones. But as it would go, we like to color with them as well. Some coloring books even have short stories. So when you consider how many different coloring books there are, it's not that hard to understand how one who has been a crayon master for, ne for nearly 40 years could get through 7,000 of them. But with all due respect, we love Mattis as well as our president. Shields High and Semper Fi, Casey. Well, Casey, I'm glad to hear that Mattis was a, a great guy. Uh, that's, there you go. Uh, like I said, I don't know him. So I have no firsthand experience of him at all. And that's, uh, that's where I have to leave it. I just know what I read in the papers. Kevin, Buck, Shields High. With regard to the climate change pushback on the left, take a look at Joe Bastardi's book, the Climate Chronicles, Inconvenient Revelations You Won't Hear from Al Gore and Others. Uh, I know Joe Bastardi. We've had him on the show uh, several times, so I think that would certainly be fun. I, I've got to say, I haven't really completely recovered yet on uh, how insane that Democrat town hall was. I mean, that Democrat town hall was just Looney Tunes, Lunaticville crazy and i don't know how anybody who thinks that they're a serious person could take that seriously could think that this was a good idea worthwhile and all the rest of it and it's just madness uh terry 
Right. Hey, Buck, I'm just listening to your show from last night. You brought up a video that is the counter to Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth. I taught AP environmental science for years, and I show Gore's movie, then immediately show Not Evil, Just Wrong to balance the viewpoints. Check out the video clip. The movie did not get a lot of attention. Strange, I know, but great points were made. Shields high from New England. Terry. Well, thank you, Terry. I've never seen Not Evil, Just Wrong, and I've never... I. Th- vaguely think I've heard of it, but I might just be saying that. Pretty sure that I don't know anything about it. So that doesn't speak well to how much attention and and press it got. Don. Hey, Buck. Great show. Great hair. Back in a great city. Well, Don, you're a great American. I know you hate numbers, but the CO2 controversy won't go away. So an easy way to think of the atmosphere is if each molecule in the atmosphere were a seat in a 100,000-seat stadium, then CO2 would represent 40 to 41 seats, or about 400 parts per million. All right. Very uh, very interesting. Very cool. I, I did not know that. I was unaware of that. Producer Mark, were you aware of that? I was not. I was unaware of that. Uh, Jeff. Actually, well, we've got to take a quick moment here, a little breather, let you gather yourself, maybe dry off a bit if you're like me and you're in the Northeast and you got covered with uh, rain while, while listening to this. Hopefully not. Could have happened, though. I don't know why I thought about that. Probably because my head's still wet. All right. We'll be back in a second with more roll call. All righty. We're doing the roll call. And here we go. Jeff. Hey, Buck. It's Tracker Jeff from California. A day behind because I listened to your podcast overnight. There's uh, weather, uh, but there is a weather or climate change book out there called Inconvenient Facts. I can't remember the author's name, but I've heard it on the radio several times, and it sounds really good. Okay. Um, Again, folks, I'm not, I'm sure there are some well-written books that deal with climate change and, and try to make the argument that this is is really the best one that I can think of is State of Fear, which is a Michael Crichton book. And you all know how much I love Michael Crichton. Uh, but State of Fear is about, it's really about eco-terrorists. And Crichton thought that what they did in, uh, what, what they've done rather in climatology is, to, I was going to say deplorable, that word is forever changed, uh, is disgraceful. They've made it a, a religious belief. You cannot, you're not allowed to veer from it. So that's an issue. Nathan writes, uh, inconvenient facts, the science that Al Gore doesn't want you to know. Glenn Beck had this author on the blaze. All right, guys, I, I, I get it. I, I know there are, but this is not, maybe it's great. I'll, I'll take a look at it. But I'm talking about a book that is the seminal work the the paramount example uh, the, the premier yeah you get what i'm saying the magnum opus the uh, piece de la resistance right that's how we do it i'm in kind of a mood i'm, I'm ready for the weekend man I'm, I'm gonna netflix and sleep this weekend that's what i'm gonna do david right hey buck my wife's nephew posted this today it makes sense take uh, take care, Dave. Well, I can't really tell anybody what it is. It's a photo of Dick's Walmart and Google. Um, I don't really get what's going on here, but thank you for sending it in. Uh, sending it in, Karen. 
A great book refuting Michael Mann's catastrophic global warming prediction is Mark Stein's A Disgrace to the Profession. At the moment, it has 499 Amazon reviews. Uh, thanks. I checked that out. Mark Stein, I really enjoyed his uh, one of his earlier books. Uh, I think it's America Alone. And I would just say that I, I think that this is the book that Stein got into legal, some legal issue with where, where man sued because he said that it was defamation. I think that that is what happened. So, yeah. Uh, let's see here. Randy, right? Can I learn more about your background? Yeah, sure, man. Hey, Buck, disregard that question. <laughs> okay, Randy. Whatever you want, my friend. But I was listening to your show here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. The show with the dude who has a chainsaw hand is Ash versus Evil Dead. Yep, we got to that. Thank you for that. Um, is it worth seeing? I don't know. Is it worth checking out? What gets producer Mark fired up, by the way? Because you're not the horror movie producer. That was obviously Brandon. And you're not the smoking cigarettes out back with the ladies because you're engaged. And that would have been producer Mike. What is producer... What is producer Mark's thing? Sports. Sports. Yeah. What sports? I mean, uh, hockey's my favorite. Football this opening this weekend. I can't believe right. you said you were going to Netflix and sleep. I'll, I mean, I'll, hopefully the cable will be fixed. Verizon's been in my home oh. three... T- I, I'm a little worn out from my apartment issues, you know, the new place. Uh, Verizon's been in my place three times. I mean, you're in Manhattan. You probably have to walk a block to get somewhere to watch a game. That's a fair point. Yeah. But I'm just saying... Verizon is like a little trip to the Verizon Files is like a trip to the Soviet oh, Union. Agree. It's like it's like I get to hop in a time machine. Well, I don't bother, bother with cable. I just have Wi-Fi. Really? Yeah. How do you watch sports if you only have Wi-Fi? Uh, I have my ways. Okay. My you parents gotta... still have cable. Ah, ah. see, I gotta I gotta get uh-huh. on that train because all I really want to be able to do is watch. I I need to have news on sometimes. I guess for you that makes sense. I don't watch news quite, See, quite as I much as I just need to have the news on sometimes, and I probably should start just going more digital. But there's not a good daily digital stream that doesn't require a cable a cable feed. There's no 24-hour digital cable network out there that's that's good that doesn't require a, uh, a, pa- a, a cable. There are good options for, like, streaming television where you can get, like, 50 channels. Yeah. You know, like I forget maybe Sling TV is one of them. Yeah, I got I got to I got to cut the cord. Ver- yeah. Verizon Verizon Files is ripping me off, so I'm uh, I'm not having it. All right, everybody, you got your orders. Have a fantastic week, and I'll see you Monday. Shields high.